parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You can find it on page 993 in the Green Bible. Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Colin. Let me read that very well. Sort of theatrical background there, maybe somewhere. Well, I know what you might be thinking. If you've been here the last few weeks, you'll know that we're in the middle of a series on the prodigal son. And that was not the, the, the parable of the prodigal son. You might be thinking, hard done by. You might be thinking, that's a relief, we've got something different. <laughs> but the reason why um, I've chosen to look at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector this morning is because I believe that it shines a light on the parable of the, the lost sons, the parable of the prodigal son. And in particular, it shines a light on the elder brother who we're focusing on today. So um, before we get into the thick of this new parable. Let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for these truths that you um, spoke so many years ago and that they, uh, we believe that they carry life and light for us today. Lord, please um, work your will in our lives today and release us evermore into a life filled with grace, hope, and joy. In your name, amen. Well, you might want to have the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in front of you. It's on page 993. And if you're already there, let's just do a quick recap just over the page at 990 and remind ourselves of, of the parable of the, the lost sons. We'll remember that in verses 1 and 2 of Luke 15, the scene is set for the parable of the prodigal son. The scene is set that the tax collectors and sinners have been found eat, not just consorting but eating with Jesus and the Pharisees and scribes, the good people, the religious people of the day are not very happy about that and they say, they complain, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's in Luke 15 verse 2. And so Jesus' three parables here in Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost sons. Um, are a response to that complaint from the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And um, the parable we've, we've heard has been 
uh, given in two acts, if you like, a two-act play. The first act concerns the younger son, who represents these tax collectors and sinners, who asks his father for his inheritance and then blows it on a rock and roll lifestyle. Fast living, fast women, fast chariots maybe, um, in a distant land, and, um, and loses the whole lot. And to the surprise and shock of everybody that hears the story, he comes home and is not just welcomed back, but is completely reinstated as a son of this father who demonstrates grace to him. What a picture of grace this is to us. End of Act 1. Beginning of Act 2, we pick up the story with the elder brother who represents the Pharisees here and the teachers of the law to us in this context. And um, we find that the elder brother is outside the celebration that's going on for the return of the younger brother. And the father, just as he went out to the younger son, is found here going out to the elder son as well, extending grace and an invitation to him. And the, the story's left hanging on a knife edge. Will this elder son respond to the father's invitation and go into the celebration? Or will he remain outside with his pride and bitterness? To be continued, perhaps. So, the Pharisees and tax collectors in Luke are familiar to us by the time that we get to Luke chapter 18, and we find a parable of this Pharisee and tax collector. Ah, these familiar language, we're, we know what this is all about. And we might be forgiven for thinking that in Luke chapter 15, all that, that, that the gospel writer that Luke is concerned with is to demonstrate that Jesus was meeting opposition from the religious people of the day, and that he extended an invitation to them would they accept or not? But there's an underlying theme here that we may have missed if that's all that we get from it. And in Luke chapter 18, when we go over the page at page 993, we'll see that in the first verse, just as in the first verse of Luke 15, the scene is set, in the first verse of Luke 18, the scene is also set. And we see here that Jesus is teaching his disciples at this point. So whereas the first parable was given as a, as, a, as a critique, if you like, of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, this next parable, we've gone some journey now, and this next parable is aimed at the disciples. Hang on a minute. Are you saying that I'm like a Pharisee or, or a tax collector? Well, some of these disciples will have been tax collectors. We know that. We know that Matthew, for example, was in his tax collecting booth and Jesus said, come, follow me. We know that Zacchaeus, do you remember the story of Zacchaeus in the tree? Who Jesus said, come down, I, I want to eat in your house. He ended up following Jesus. So there are at least two tax collectors in amongst Jesus' disciples. Jesus is challenging us here in Luke 18 that beware, you tax collectors, maybe you younger sons who've gone on that journey, come back, experience God's grace. Beware that you're not turning into Pharisees yourself. And so here in the second parable, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, Jesus is warning his disciples against the Pharisee tendency that they have within them. And these words are very pertinent to religious people like you and me today. So what we're looking at today 
is the Pharisee heart. What are the symptoms, if you like, of the Pharisee heart within us? And secondly, what's the antidote to the Pharisee heart? What are the symptoms and what is the antidote? Well, we've got three of each. Firstly, the Pharisee heart is self-righteous. We see in verse 9 here, Jesus spoke this parable to those who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Righteousness, uh, it's not a word that we use very often today. Unless you're from the west coast of America, you might call someone a righteous dude. But uh, righteous is a legal term, isn't it? It says without blame. It means without, being without blame, that we're declared guiltless in court. Maybe that I'm just, I'm okay in, in the context of God. I'm okay with God. My status my, is, is good. But the self-righteous heart, the self-righteous Pharisaic heart, if you like, and this is the heart of the elder brother that we see in the, in the parable of the lost sons, the self-righteous heart is focused on achievement and accolades. If we look at the Pharisee's prayer, just at the end of it, in verse 12, he says, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. You can see where the Pharisee's sense of self-worth comes from, can't you? It reads a bit like a CV. He's giving a CV to God. CVs are like today's ultimate marketing tool, aren't they? They used to be a a list of experience, and now they're a marketing tool. You rewrite them for every job that you apply for, and you present yourself in the best possible light. And that's it's very good advice. Um, you might want to be warned against being too honest in your CV. I came across, I typed in honest CV into Google, and came across this um, advertisement in a Toronto newspaper uh, in the employment wanted section. And the article is headed, Former Marijuana Smuggler. And it reads, Having successfully completed a 10-year sentence, incident-free for importing 75 tons of marijuana into the United States, I'm now seeking a legal and legitimate means to support myself and my family. Business experience. I owned and operated a successful fishing business, multi-vessel, one airplane, one island and, and processing facility, simultaneously owned and operated a fleet of tractor-trailer trucks conducting business in the western United States. During this time, I also co-owned and participated in the executive-level management of 120 people worldwide in a, successfully, in a successful pot-smuggling venture with revenues in excess of $100 million annually. I took responsibility for my own actions and received a 10-year sentence in the United States while others walked free for their cooperation. Attributes. I am an expert in all levels of security. I have extensive computer skills, am personable, outgoing, well-educated, reliable, clean, and sober. I've spoken in schools to thousands of kids and parents groups over the past 10 years on the consequences of choice, and received public recognition for community service. I'm well-traveled. I speak English, French, and Spanish. References available from friends, family, and the US District Attorney. <laughs> well, how honest do you want to be in your CV? Um, your CV is, 
there to present yourself, isn't it, in a certain light for a certain role. But the problem with the Pharisee heart is that he believed, he came to believe his own marketing. He believed that that was who he was. And he was quite chuffed with who he was as a result. He believed that he was okay, he was righteous with God because of his achievements. So that's the first symptom of the Pharisee heart, that it's self-righteous. Secondly, the Pharisee heart uses a complex system of masks. It uses a complex system of masks. In ancient Greek culture, you may well know that they used masks in their theatrical performances. If you go to one of the ancient amphitheaters in Greece that's, that have been restored, like I think there's one in Epidavros and one in Corinth, you'll see these Greek tragedies being played out in front of hundreds of people where the actors all wear masks to uh, demonstrate who they are. There was a word to describe these actors, and it was Hippocrates. And this is where we get the word hypocrites from. So in Matthew 23, we see Jesus railing against the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Literally, you mask wearers. At one stage, they were complaining that Jesus' disciples weren't washing ceremonially washing their hands correctly. And Jesus said to them, you wash the outside of the cup, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. So the Pharisee, the elder brother, if you like, is there using a mask. It's important there to be seen to be doing the right things. Not just to do them, but to be seen doing the right things. An example in the Christian, just to bring it a bit closer to home, in the Christian environment, we know, don't we, that when we give financially, it's important to give in secret so that God sees what's going on in our hearts. Um, but the Pharisee within us just longs for that secret to get out. <laughs> um, guilty. <laughs> um, just like the workplace, Unfortunately, the church is a perfect stage for mask wearing, isn't it? When you're new to church, perhaps some of us are new to church today, it's, uh, everybody seems very happy and confident. They seem to have their lives together, and you're very impressed with everybody. But after a little while, you get to know them a little bit better. And after a bit longer, maybe you're a bit like the Pharisee, standing apart and thanking God that you're not quite like them. But the church is a, is, a, is a hotbed for this mask wearing, where there's this pressure to look good, to look happy, to look confident, and to look like we have our lives all together. I'm sorry to say, there's a pressure to conform. So the Pharisee heart, the second point, uses a complex system of masks. Thirdly, the Pharisee heart avoids grace at all costs. Philip Yancey, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, describes hypocrisy, what we've just been talking about, as an elaborate ruse to avoid grace. If we look at, again at the prayer of the Pharisee in verses 11 and 12, you might notice what's missing there. 
He only talks about himself. The only thing addressed to God is the word God. And he thanks God for his achievements. He doesn't ask for anything. And therefore, he doesn't receive anything from God. The Pharisee heart, the elder brother, asks for and receives nothing. He's insulated from God. He's independent. So, the crux of the Pharisee heart has three symptoms, if you like. It's self-righteous. Pleased with our own performance, we judge ourselves on our own standards. It uses a complex system of masks to project, to present the right image. And it avoids God's grace being independent. So, if these are the symptoms, what's the antidote? Well, the clue is in verse 14 here. Right at the end. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. The antidote to the Pharisee heart is to have a humble heart. Is to have a humble heart. So what are the attributes of a humble heart? Well, we've got three of them to match the three for the Pharisee heart. Firstly, the humble heart is down to earth. Humble. The word humble comes from the Latin humus which means earth or earthy. And it literally means within it then that we are down to earth if we're humble. I was speaking to uh, Georgina just earlier about old sayings. She was saying there's a saying, there are worse things that happen at sea. And um, it's interesting how these things develop. You can see where that one came from. But I tried to find out where where the phrase down to earth actually comes from. And I couldn't find out. Maybe someone can let me know. But I like to think that it's actually rooted in Jesus himself. Here was someone that literally came down to earth. Isn't that right? And that's uh, summarized in Philippians 2. Don't need to turn to it. There may be familiar words to you. The song from Philippians 2 that Paul quotes to the, um, the church in Philippi on page 1114. He talks about Jesus Christ, having the mind of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus, for us, is if you like, the illustration, the embodiment of humility. In contrast to the Pharisee who um, builds up his CV and is very impressed with it, the humble heart is happy to take the lower road, is happy doing the most menial of tasks or the highest accolade, have the highest accolades knows that their identity is not um, caught up in that. The humble heart recognizes the difference between position and identity. Therefore, Jesus, confident in his identity as the son of a loving father, 
was willing to take the lowest position of a servant for our sake. Where we exercise, where we live out of a humble heart, we're living out of that phrase that was spoken to Jesus at his baptism. This is my beloved son. We might hear my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. So firstly, the humble heart is down to earth. Secondly, the humble heart is honest. This tax collector we see praying here in verse 13. He's completely himself, even in church, even in the the temple. I spoke earlier about how the church is the place where we, we can end up wearing masks. Brennan Manning, in his, um, in his book, Ruthless Trust, talks about a weakness in the Western church. And he says that it, has a ref- it, it exemplifies a refusal to accept our very own brokenness. We present to others a self that is spiritually together, superficially happy, and lacquered with a sense of self-deprecating humor that passes for humility. Ouch. That's quite a stinging criticism, isn't it? But the humble heart, by by living with a humble heart, we give each other permission to drop our masks, to be ourselves, to be our broken selves, to demonstrate that our emotions and lives are lived in a glorious technicolor that's unpredictable instead of living in a monochrome, generic, vanilla, I'm fine, thanks, how are you, kind of life. (laughs) Tim Keller, in his book, The Prodigal God, says that the prerequisite for receiving the grace of God is to know that you need it. So our brokenness opens the door to the grace of God, which leads us on to the third aspect of the humble heart which is that it's a heart totally dependent on God's grace. I don't know if you've thought about the tax collector in this um, parable here. The most amazing thing for me is that he's there praying that prayer. He had the guts to walk into the temple, into church, if you like, where he knew that there was at least one Pharisee in there. He's bold enough to walk in. He's bold enough before God to ask for mercy. And that demonstrates that he had a faith that he may just receive the mercy that he's asking for. The tax collector in this parable demonstrated a a vulnerable honesty. He lived his life in this parable before God. Do you notice those two words here? Where does it say? In verse 14. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified or righteous before God. The humble life is a life lived dependent on grace and before God, in God's sight. So, the antidote is to live from a place of the humble heart, a humble heart which is down to earth, honest, and totally dependent on the grace of God. Can we hear today Jesus' warning 
to the Pharisee within us. That we fall for our own marketing, that we wear masks, and we're living our lives independently of God. And will we today, maybe as we enact this um, parable of the communion service, embrace the humble way. We recognize that our identity is more important than our position as children of God. We're willing to be down-to-earth people like Jesus. We're willing to be honest and to give people permission to be honest as well and to live a life totally dependent on God's amazing grace. Amen.